Okay, all right. That's it. Let me pray for us, and we'll continue in our scripture reading and sermon today. Father, we come to you, and we realize that um, programs are more than just programs. They're meant to develop and grow uh, the people that come to them. And I pray that as this church grows, we can find out ways to minister to the people you've entrusted to us better and better uh, in a more efficient way, in a way that is uh, that feel like we're connecting people with one another and getting good content, biblical content, into their hearts and minds. And I pray that you would be with us as this church grows and the many blind spots that growth might bring with it. Be patient with us, be gracious to us, be kind to us. Um, and I pray that you would continue to build us up in the gospel. And I pray today, as Sam comes up and preaches, that you would steady our hearts and our minds uh, to be able to follow along uh, with what Luke has to say to us uh, through the book of Acts as you write through him and reveal your truths into the hearts of your people for the glory of your name, by the power of your spirit, under the cross of your son. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Shalom. So, I don't know if you guys noticed this, but I think it's pretty uncontroversial to say that there is a direct correlation between our happiness and our expectations. Right, here's what I mean. I love playing sports. I'm a pretty competitive guy. And when I play, I'm very kiasu. I play hard, I play to win, and I can get a little emotional when I do it. And you guys in TCC who played basketball with me before COVID was a thing, would know this, right? Like, I go in wanting to play with intensity, wanting to compete to win every game, but some other guys are just there wanting to run around and, you know, burn a few calories, have have a few laughs with some friends, and there's nothing wrong with that. But because we weren't on the same page about what was going on, things can get pretty awkward, right? There I was, trash-talking people, being unnecessarily physical and getting all mad at my teammates when they mess up, right? Not being Christ-like at all. And that, that not only made people like not want to play with me and think that I have issues, I found myself ruining the experience of others. Right? I wanted heated competition, but they just wanted to enjoy a Sunday afternoon. So there is this disparity between my expectations and the reality of what was happening, and I wasn't able to share in this joy that was going on. In fact, I became a killjoy because I didn't manage my expectations. Now, this disparity between expectation and reality is what the people in the text of our sermon is dealing with. So we're continuing in our series in the book of Acts, and last week, we studied the remarkable events that transpired between Peter and Cornelius, ending with the manifestation of the Holy Spirit on the day of uh, on the Gentiles. And our text deals with the aftermath and how some in the church responded to what just happened or hearing about what just happened. And through this text, I hope that we can correct our expectations about the kingdom of God. So let us turn today to our text to learn what God can teach us from Acts chapter 1, verse 1, Acts chapter 11, verse 1 to 18. This is the word of God. Now, the apostles who were throughout Judea heard the Gentiles had also received the word of God. So Peter went up to Jerusalem. The circumcision party criticized him, saying, You went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. But Peter began and explained it to them in order. I was in the city of Joppa praying, 
And in a trance, I saw a vision, something like a great sheet descending, being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to me. Looking at it closely, I observed animals and beasts of prey and reptiles and birds of the air, and I heard a voice saying to me, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, By no means, Lord, for nothing uncommon or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But the voice answered for a second time, What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and all was drawn up again into heaven. And behold, at that very moment, three men arrived at the house in which we were and sent sent to me from Caesarea. And the Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. These six brothers also accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. And he told us how he had seen the angel stand in his house and say, Send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. He will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and all your household. And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them, just as on us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord when he said, John baptized with spirit, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? When they heard these things, they fell silent, and they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also, God has granted the repentance that leads to life. Thus says the Lord. Brothers and sisters, from this text that we just read, I want, to, I want us to have at least three things. I want to point out three things that we need to internalize about the kingdom of God. One, we must be aware of false expectations about the kingdom of God. Two, because we will see the evidence of the Holy Spirit in the kingdom of God. And three, therefore, we must get on board with God's kingdom vision. May the Lord soften our hearts and give us ears to hear as we meditate on his word today. Okay, so point one, we must be aware of false expectations about the kingdom of God. So after the Cornelius episode in verse 1 tells us that word spread all over Judea about what happened, specifically stated here that the news spread amongst the brothers and apostles. So this was big news in the early church because, in fact, the events of chapters 10 starts what is probably the biggest theological controversy in the time of the apostles. We see in verse 2 that Uh, there were these guys translated here as the circumcised party or the circumcised ones who were especially concerned with what happened and even criticized Peter. And as these are explained in our confession of sin today, that these guys were people who were actually Christians from a Jewish background, and though they believed in Jesus, they thought that the point of the God's covenant promises is only available to those who are keeping the Old Testament laws. So they were the circumcision party because they believed that only people who were circumcised, which was the Old Testament sign of someone's membership in God's covenant people, will inherit the kingdom of God. Now, let's not jump to the conclusion that they were simply racist because it seems that their problem was actually primarily doctrinal. You see, being serious scholars of the scriptures, they would know from passages like Deuteronomy 32, Isaiah 66, Psalm 69, 96, and so on, that God's design was always to reconcile all nations to himself. In fact, 
to their first ancestor, God's promise to Abraham, that was that through his family, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Right? It's clear. And it's everywhere in the Old Testament. And I seriously doubt, being Bible nerds as they are, that they simply miss this. But you see, at the same time, I think the problem was that it wasn't supposed to be easy in the Old Testament for the nations. Because at the same time, it is also clear in the Old Testament that the nations were something that God was supposed to deal with. They were sinners. They broke God's laws. They worshiped other gods. Heck, they weren't even circumcised, which was the Jewish law 101. And God did say that he will not leave the guilty unpunished, and his anointed king will crush his enemies under his feet. So the most common Jewish expectation at the time was that this judgment will come before the acceptance. And indubitably, that the Jews back then were eagerly awaiting this judgment to, to fall upon the Romans specifically. Right? Remember that their land was being occupied by the Roman Empire. They were being colonized who were, by people who were not only oppressing them and taxing them unfairly, but they've also brought this lifestyle and even a diet that is immoral and unclean, according to Jewish law. So, do you see why it was so scandalous for them that Peter would associate himself and fellowship with a Roman centurion? One from this immoral, unclean culture who is the commander of the very army that is colonizing them. So, if we take the concerns of the circumcision party Charitably, as charitably as possible, right? there can be some merit. They wanted to see God fulfill the promise of justice, and they want to take seriously God's laws. The problem is, they took for granted the reality that grace was actually the way anyone can get into God's kingdom. Because according to our own works and our own righteousness, nobody is good enough. Those who are worthy of entering the kingdom of God are not those who are relatively less sinful, but those who are perfect, completely free from sin. But because they misunderstood this fact, the circumcision party did, that it was grace that reconciled them to God and not their obedience to the law, it led them astray on at least three levels, right? First, it led to this stubbornness of heart that leads to a pridefulness that shows up through this unnecessary legalism that makes salvation inaccessible to some, right? It makes sense, right? Especially for those of us who generally try to obey the rules and do what's right. Like the circumcision party would say, we and our ancestors have been trying to obey God's laws for thousands of years, and we've been oppressed for doing it. Now you're saying that all that was actually optional? It can really seem unfair. And those in the circumcision party would continue to struggle with this because although at the end of the text they accepted that non-Jews can also be saved by Christ, if we read on in the book of Acts, they still couldn't accept that the non-Jews didn't have to abide by the laws that they did, right? That they tried so hard to keep, which led them to impose unnecessary rules on their non-Jewish brothers and sisters, arguing that everyone who wasn't born Jewish have to be circumcised too and also submit to the Old Testament laws in order to be legitimate followers of Christ. Basically saying that non-Jews had to be like them now that they're in the covenant family. And this caused a major controversy. And the debate got so heated, and we see later in chapter 15, the apostles had to have a whole council in Jerusalem to settle the matter. 
So what I want to point out is the fact that if we believe that how we receive God's blessing is by obeying some set of rules and norms, we will inevitably try to make everyone who wants to enjoy God's blessing assimilate to what we're doing. Believing that there's only like one kind of Christian that pleases the Lord. As if the church is supposed to be this homogenous blob and nobody, anybody who doesn't fit in is simply excluded. Brothers and sisters, this is simply not the gospel of Jesus Christ. And second, it led them to a level of self-righteousness that not only made them feel justified in excluding people who are non-Jewish from their fellowship, it even made them turn on one of their own the circumcision party who were in Jerusalem dared to be suspicious and criticized Peter. Think about how irrational this is. They all knew that Peter was one of Jesus' first disciples and that he knows Jesus better than anyone else. This was the guy who walked on water with Christ. And it was Peter who was filled with the Holy Spirit in Pentecost and through whose preaching thousands came to faith in Christ. Peter hailed a crippled man in front of the temple. There was nobody who was more concerned with keeping the law and more loyal to the people of Israel than Peter. So if there was anyone who they should have zero doubts about being legit, it should be Peter. But here they were, blinded by self-righteousness and having the gall, putting Peter the apostle on trial. And our self-righteousness can lead us to do the same, can we? Even the most faithful servants of Christ can seem our enemies when we're blinded by our legalism and self-righteousness. And lastly, missing the fact that our inclusion in the kingdom of God is based on grace alone and not works is a dangerous thing. Because in addition to excluding those who might be part of God's family and unfairly criticizing faithful servants of God, it messes with our own ability to rejoice in the grace of God that we've received ourselves. You know, the grievance that the circumcision party had with inclusion of non-Jews into God's kingdom reminds me of a parable of Jesus in Matthew 20, right? The one about the owner of a vineyard who were looking for laborers in the field. So he went out the first hour, hired some people to work in his field. Then he went out again on the sixth, ninth, and eleventh hour, did the same thing. And he paid them all a day's wages as he promised. Guess who complained? The ones who were working all day. And to their protestations, the owner of the vineyard simply replied, am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be the first, and the first will be the last. You see, friends, if this happened in the professional world, this would be a legit complaint. But Jesus wanted to communicate to his disciples this upside-down, counterintuitive dynamic of the kingdom of God. Where if we feel entitled to more wages and reward because of how much we work, instead of rejoicing in the generosity of our master from giving us work and not leaving us idle all day, we'll be grumbling and begrudging his generosity. Therefore, instead of troubling ourselves with who deserves what, which we have no right to judge anyway, we're better off humbling ourselves and rejoicing that in God's infinite generosity, there are co-laborers who would have never guessed would get to share in the promises of God and share in the same rewards as us. For it was after understanding that the Gentiles too received the Holy Spirit, 
doing a reward for those who are called by Christ to work in his harvest. The perspective of Peter and those who questioned him that day began to change. Just point two, because we will witness the evidence of the Holy Spirit in the kingdom of God. We see in verse 4 to 17 that to defend himself against their criticism, Peter gave the circumcision party a straightforward summary of what we read last week in chapter 10. Now, unlike his response to the Jewish religious leaders who are questioning him about the validity of the claim that Jesus is the Messiah that we can read earlier in chapter 2, where he was quoting scripture and he has this sophisticated theological reasoning, Peter's response to the Christian brothers here was simple that God had in a special way revealed to him in a vision that the non-Jews are also included in his kingdom. Then God instructed him to preach the gospel to them, which he obeyed, and God confirmed to him that they were indeed included by manifesting in the Holy Spirit in the same way that he did for the Jewish people who believed in Pentecost, as we read in chapter 2. You see, as Peter himself confessed in verse 17, right, that he was reluctant to accept the fact that the Gentiles were in is mainly because of his own prejudice. He realized that he has been standing in God's way. So to soften his heart, God needed to intrude upon his life in a special way and appear to him in a vision so that Peter would wake up and realize what God's heart for the world actually is. And as a result of what he's experienced, we see there in verse 16, Peter remembered the word of the Lord that was said in Acts 1. It was only then that the you that Jesus said there does not only mean you Jews, but all you disciples of Christ. You see, friends, this wasn't the first time Peter was told this information. Peter was there when Jesus said the Great, great Commission, where he explicitly said that you are to make disciples of all nations. But for some reason, perhaps due to the ethnocentric theology that he grew up in and believed in, perhaps due to some past trauma that he and his people experienced in the hands of non-Jews, we don't know for sure, we can only speculate. But whatever it was, the point is that the sin he grew up in and uh, the sin that was around him caused him to have this sin so ingrained that it caused this spiritual amnesia that made him ignore or misunderstand what the Lord had explicitly told him. And it took this special revelation from God to free him from this sinful mindset. Luckily for us, we don't need a vision while we're napping to remember that God loves people from every nation. We have something as authoritative, more complete, and much more convenient. And you guys all know, I'm talking about the God-breathed, inspired, Word of God, that we can access anywhere, anytime, and in any language that you can understand. We must not take that for granted. And we would do well to continuously go back to it, read it, meditate on it, so that we are not led astray by the prejudices that the sin that we live around has cultivated in us. Because like how the Word of God came to Peter that day and instructs him to go to minister and declare the message of salvation to those who God sends to him, even if they are unclean and unworthy in his eyes, the same word of God today likewise instructs us to declare the message of salvation to whomever God sends our way, no matter how different they are from us and how comfortable we may feel, uncomfortable we may feel around them. See, but unlike Peter, 
our problem is not that we're reluctant to accept everybody's saved, right? We can look around um, and see that that's not the case. No. The reason why we're often reluctant to fellowship, let alone preach the gospel to those who are different from us, is either because of laziness or fear. Laziness, because obeying this call will mean that we'll have to put time and energy into doing this, something that most of us feel like we don't have enough of already. And so we we simply can't be bothered to go out of our way and potentially have to endure this awkwardness, difficult questions, all too willing to punt to more qualified professionals to do it. And this won't work, friends, because the church does not have enough ordained ministers, staff members, and missionaries to get to everyone. On top of the fact that this is a command from God for all Christians. So if we search our hearts and find that it's laziness that is stopping us from proclaiming the gospel of Christ, the only appropriate response is repentance. Grieving our disobedience and praying to God that he may give us a heart of compassion for the lost and opportunities to preach for them. But if it is fear, afraid that we don't know enough theology, that we're not good enough people, that our efforts won't be fruitful, if it's fear in your heart preventing you from preaching the gospel, be encouraged. Because as we saw in verse 15, Peter didn't even finish preaching before the Holy Spirit did its thing and showed Peter that he was working in them. Peter didn't even get to finish his sermon. Because it was never because of how good of a preacher Peter was, was Cornelius and his household saved. Rather, it was because it was the will of God all along. Look, I get religion can be a pretty sensitive and volatile topic. And we need to be as delicate and as clear as we can when we're preaching the gospel. But if we aim to be winsome and gentle and patient in our approach... God will honor our obedience, and we will too will get front row seats to witness the Holy Spirit's work. Because we can also see the manifestation of the Holy Spirit's work today. And though I would argue it's not in the same way that it happened in our text, right? Because back then it was necessary for the Holy Spirit to manifest itself among the Gentiles as he did amongst the Jews in Jerusalem in the day of Pentecost. You see, It wasn't immediately obvious, even to the most learned scholars of the Old Testament, that things will work out this way. Even to Peter, who in Luke 24, it says, was one of those who Jesus opened the mind of to understand the scriptures. And up to now, the vast majority of the people who has been saved were Jews or has some Jewish heritage, right? The gospel was proclaimed in Jewish communities. There might be some Hellenists there, right, like Greek-speaking Jews, but for the most part, the people in the church had some ties to Judaism. So it seems obvious now to us that all nations are welcome, but back then there was room for reasonable doubt. So God decided that it was best at that time to do this extraordinary thing to validate and leave no doubt to the church in the first century that the Gentiles were in. However, we don't need that today to validate the presence of God's Spirit in us. All of us here who are followers of Jesus testifies that God's kingdom is truly open to all nations. I'm very proud of the fact that Covenant City Church is one of the most diverse churches I've been a part of. 
right? There are people of every color here that testifies to God's heart for the nation. And I've never experienced anything like the apostles did in Pentecost. I never spoke in tongues, and neither has Tazar, I think. I hope. And I'm relatively confident that we're in the kingdom of God and have the Holy Spirit. And if any of you doubt that, you probably shouldn't be listening to me. Is it? But you shouldn't, this doesn't mean that we'll miss out on seeing any evidence of the Holy Spirit's work in our life. Because you know what is actually the most decisive external evidence of the work of the Holy Spirit? More convincing, at least Paul thinks, than the gift of tongues or prophecy? The fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. This is what the Holy Spirit will produce in anyone he is working in. Because when we see someone able to love a person coming from a background or having a personality that he would have never wanted to be around, that makes him so uncomfortable, that is evidence of the Holy Spirit. When someone who deeply longs to be married is nonetheless able to find joy in their singleness and wait patiently because they are satisfied in the Lord, that is evidence of the work of the Holy Spirit. When someone who is egregiously sinned against is able to control themselves and not retaliate, but instead turn the other cheek and even respond to them with kindness, forgiveness, even willing to reconcile, that is the Holy Spirit. So don't disrespect the Holy Spirit by dismissing these fruits as ordinary or common if we see them in other people and even ourselves. Because in our text, the appropriate response when we become aware of the work of the Holy Spirit is to stand in awe of the glorious God who made this possible. Which is point three, just briefly, I promise. Therefore, we must get on board with God's kingdom vision. Lastly and briefly, notice the very last verse in our text, verse 18. What was the response of the circumcision party who are questioning Peter in Jerusalem to Peter's testimony? They fell silent. They stopped being critical of their brother. Their self-righteousness and prejudice began to crumble, and they began to glorify God. In other words, they started to praise his goodness and give him honor, the honor he's worthy of. They began to worship. And what was it that they worshiped about God? The last sentence there is key. To the Gentiles, God has also granted repentance that leads to life. You see, Luke is showing us that because of the Holy Spirit's presence to the Gentiles, the circumcision party finally began to understand that it was no longer because of following the Old Testament laws, circumcision, keeping the Sabbath, eating kosher food, as someone admitted into God's family, but it is because of their loyalty to the Lord Jesus Christ alone that enables them to share in the covenant promises. That is why it is said that to the Gentiles, it was granted the repentance that leads to life. What is being talked about there is not the possibility of repentance, not the option of repentance, but repentance itself was granted. What this means is that now what God is doing among sinners, breakers of the law, among people like us, once when we were in our sin, completely dead in our sins and by nature alienated to God and hostile to Him, God is decisively working through the Holy Spirit to turn us from our wicked ways. You see, what the Holy Spirit does for us 
is that he allows us to see our sin as God sees them. Filthy and hateful and utterly dangerous because they are completely contrary to the holy nature and righteous law of God because our sins made us enemies of God. Therefore, since the Holy Spirit has caused us to understand that God in Christ is merciful to those who repent, we now suffer a deep sorrow for our sin. We hate our sin. And we respond to this by turning away from all of them, but turning to God to walk with Him. See, this hatred towards sin cannot be manufactured by sheer determination or intellectual learning. But because the Holy Spirit has made us understand that we have already received mercy because the risen Christ lived a perfect and sinless life to fulfill every letter of the law. And he suffered on our behalf the legal penalty for our failure to keep the law. So on this basis of the freedom from the curse of sin that the law brings to us, that is the Holy Spirit work in us such that we actually want to be obedient to the commands of God. Following me? Not out of slavish fear, but with a childlike faith and a willing mind. Therefore, brothers and sisters, Jesus is king over all nations and is able to unite every nation, tribe, and tongue, not because he forces his followers into some rigid mold, but by making us fall deeply and undeniably in love with him, moving us with the unsearchable depth of his grace, comforting us with his inexhaustible mercy and assuring us with his unchangeable faithfulness. This is God's kingdom vision, a commun- like populated by a community, a whole family from all backgrounds who follow him because we love him. So as a community, friends, let us go- get on board with this vision and welcome our siblings into our fellowship as Christ welcomes us into his family. Not begrudgingly, but willingly. Not pressuring or doubting them, but working with them and encouraging them. For if we do this, we will model for our brothers and sisters the love of Christ that caused us to repent in the first place. Then, let us all, each and every follower of Christ, participate in God's purpose to gather all his children that will come from all nations, from all kinds of backgrounds, that they may too enjoy that which is truly life, a life free from the burden of sin and the sting of death. For when we do that, we'll have the privilege to witness how truly powerful and life-changing God's Holy Spirit really is. But if you don't think you're in God's family right now, if you don't think you're good enough or is somehow excluded, let me tell you that no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter, what you're, no matter where you come from, you certainly are accepted by God if you want to follow him. You can come to him as you are and repentance that leads to life is there for you. And Covenant City Church will helpfully, happily walk with you as you try to do the same and follow Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, 
we are astounded by the depth, the breadth, the height, the width, and the length of your grace. Father, it is so beautiful that you can unite cultures that might be hostile to one another, people who might not suit one another because of their loyalty to you. Lord, never let this be lost on us. Allow us to continuously submit and humble ourselves to your purposes because we know how much you have done for us and how deep truly lo- your love is truly for us. And Lord, help us to hate our sin and continue to repent from it so that we may lay hold of that which is truly life. In Jesus' name we pray.